Okay, okay. On a scale beginning with I'm the first person in line for early voting to beats me, I'm not going to go vote, why should I care? Where would you say you rank in terms of motivation to vote, Matthew? Well, Rachel, I mean, I won't be the first person at the polls, but I do co-host a politics podcast, so I am pretty excited to vote. But I guess it depends on why you're voting. Exactly. Finding the motivation is pretty dependent on why you're at the ballot box in the first place. Hi, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith, and this is Natural Election, a podcast from Ozarks at Large and KUAF all about elections in Arkansas. Throughout this series, we'll examine what it takes to vote in the natural state ahead of the primaries on May 24th. We've done a lot of explaining in this podcast so far. How to register to vote, what your rights are as a voter, and how primaries work. Now we're going to get a little more esoteric. Reporter Matthew Moore asks the question, why should we vote? The short answer is there's a lot of reasons why we vote. And for Patrick Miller, he researches and writes about it for a living. Generally, I focus on American political behavior. My research has been about identities in politics, of which partisanship is part of that, emotion in politics as well. Miller and his co-author Pam Conover wrote a peer-reviewed article in 2015 about the topic of partisan hostility and voting behaviors. If you put our research in the context of other research on this topic, I think that something that we're seeing in American democracy that is alarming in some ways is that partisanship is really becoming a very negative motivator in the sense that uh, your people who are your strongest partisans in America, your strongest Democrats, your strongest Republicans, they seem to be motivated more in politics oftentimes, as far as the data go, motivated more by contempt or hatred or dislike of the other side and an interest in simply stopping that side and winning you know, that symbolic victory over the other side and valuing those things more than positivity about their side, anything that their side is advancing. So I think, you know, putting all that research in mind and others in context, it it is a bit of a troubling thing that in a modern American democracy, it is really negativity and contempt and, and stopping the other side that is often what's motivating us to vote, motivating us to pay attention to politics, to donate to campaigns and do a variety of other political activities you know, far more than anything positive. Is there any sort of line in the sand where political scientists and historians can say, okay, it was this election where we began to saw this sort of, as you put it, effective polarization that started? Not necessarily. Um, and and one, one caveat to all of this is that we can only talk about this for as far back as the data go. We can't say what American public opinion was like in the 1800s, for example, when (laughs) politics actually led to us having a a civil war. Right. (laughs) Um, We could be as hateful today as we were 150 plus years ago. I mean, one of the major plot points of the musical Hamilton and real life Alexander Hamilton is that his political rival hated him so much that he literally shot and killed him. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So, yeah. Miller points out that sometimes we look at the time period right after World War II 
and see the relative moderation between Republicans and Democrats. But maybe what we see in American politics today is more the norm historically, and that post-World War II period is the exception. But I think really from the 1960s onward is when we start to see that, you know, in, in, in almost any way that you measure it, that decline in positivity towards politics and more of a hatred of the other party growing. You know, Americans will always tell you they don't like negative campaign. They don't like vitriolic campaigns, but they also respond really well to them in the sense that they seem to motivate us to vote. They seem to get us to change our votes sometimes. When we swing as voters between parties, we're often swinging based on negativity, not positivity. That kind of negativity gets us to open our pocketbooks and volunteer on campaigns. Miller points to a moment in the 2008 presidential campaign. Republican nominee Senator John McCain was on the campaign trail hearing from audience members about his opponent, Barack Obama. I got to ask you a question. I do not uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, man. no, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. Thank you. That cost him politically with a lot of core Republicans. And you can find the same thing on the Democratic side as well, where there's this reluctance, and we see it in surveys all the time of both parties, a reluctance to say that the other side are you know, decent people who just have different ideas. There is widespread endorsement in both parties of everything negative about the other side. So I think the more common sentiment you see today in American politics is the other side is evil, awful, immoral, nasty, awful people, and we have to hate them. And nothing they say is honest. We can't trust them. They can't be bargained with in good faith. We have to fight them. Miller and his co-author Conover surveyed voters in 2010. And the data is pretty consequential. The data shows that three out of four people who were surveyed agreed with the sentiment that they were angry that the opposing party was, quote, destroying American democracy. Why should people go vote? (laughs) Is there, you know, when when they look at the field and they look at the campaigns and they look at the policies that politicians are, you know, putting out for people to see, we're seeing a lot of the... I'm a good guy, and they're a bad guy, and you should vote for me, the good guy. And that may alienate a lot of people from voting. What, what would you say to people who are on the fence about voting to begin with? Why should they vote? Well, I think those, those messages also motivate a lot of people. And I think that what could possibly be troubling is that the motivation is bigger than the turnoff for many Americans. I mean, I think that's a calculus that politicians make that, again, just reflects people and what we're looking for in our preferences. You know, as a political scientist, I would love it if people just thought that, well, we should vote because it's an obligation of citizenship. And then if you take that a step further, you know, I think there are so many people who are alienated from politics and they're frustrated that politics doesn't do certain things. But yet, if you're not voting and you're not communicating what you want to politicians, then you're missing out on on an ability to hold them accountable. So in that sense, for people who are alienated in our society not participating is self-defeating. 
And I think that's a very difficult message to give to people who genuinely feel alienated or for whom it is just fashionable to feel alienated because mm. you know, we don't like politics. I think a lot of times when we think of voting that we think that we have to love the person that we're voting for. Would you advocate for the idea of not necessarily voting for a candidate, but voting against a candidate? You know, I, I, I do notice the same thing, right? I mean, there is, and I'm not making a value judgment about it, but there's a lot of, I don't, you know, personality cult can be a strong word. Personality cheerleading, whatever, infatuation with certain politicians, but that's, that's nothing new either. Would I give any legitimacy to being motivated by negativity? I mean, sure. I think reality is that there's always going to be a mixture of pro and con. You know, you're, you're voting because you don't like the other side, but you're also hopefully voting because your side is giving you something that is hopeful or inspiring to you. For State Senator Joyce Elliott, that inspiration came at a young age. I was one of those kids, like a lot of kids, but, you know, growing up in the South and learning all about these documents and whatnot. And I loved just reading stuff. And uh, and our teachers, well, I was going to an all black school then, but our teachers were very adamant about our memorizing things and understanding that even though you may be black and you were at a separate school, you're just as good as everybody else. And here's what you can do. But but I saw the opposite in actions. Uh, but it was, it was when John F. Kennedy was running for office that I saw black people that were near and dear to me, like my family, my church folks and all that. People who I had heard for years whispering about things that I came to learn. It was about politics, but I didn't really know what it was. I didn't even have the word, but I heard them talking about poll taxes. And when John F. Kennedy was running for office, the whole notion of their being afraid and their shoulders hunched over, they began to talk out loud and stand up straight and just became, became different people with a kind of hope. And the thing I understood, it had come from this one man, and whether true or not, they thought was going to make them different. He made them feel seen and heard and as, and, as, and as if they were important. I didn't know what it was, but at that time I vowed, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to do this. I want to do what he's doing. Um, I didn't have president in mind, but I just wanted to be able to do something to make sure people that had just been marginalized and left out as a kid, I knew that's what I want to do. I wanted to teach, I wanted to teach school, and I wanted to be in politics. When I think of those two things, and especially the way that you frame that, there's a lot of empowerment that's involved in in that. And I think that's probably what you resonated with. What is it that you found joy in when you used those positions, whether it was as an educator or as a politician, to empower people who you were working alongside? That The power is absolutely the right word because voting is all about power and, and having, a, having influence in politics is all about power. And I never felt more empowered than I did in the classroom because my teachers, I before I started going to a, a, an integrated school, 
our teachers were very tough on us. And when we mastered something, it was like, yes, I finally got through Miss Muldrum's composition. And she said it was good, you know, that kind of thing. But it just made you feel bigger and um, more as if, you know, you were not the willow that was bending, but the oak that could stand tall and spread your wings and do things. Uh, And I wanted my students to feel that. And I was teaching at a time when uh, my very first job, I was the first black teacher ever at that school in a a full-time position. And I knew what it felt like because I'd gone through forced, you know, desegregation where I was absolutely not valued and people were doing everything they could for me not to be heard. But I most often was, you know, through pushing for it. And I wanted students to know that there were people like me in power as a teacher who wanted them to feel the same thing. And it was through knowledge and recognition and honoring what they thought and teaching them to honor others and what they thought, but still you could work together and be even more powerful. As Miss Elliott, she taught high school for decades. She was first elected to office in 2000, where she continued to teach school while simultaneously working in politics and eventually realized doing two all-consuming jobs at once was not fair to everyone involved. So after nearly 30 years in the classroom, she placed her full-time focus on politics. And I thought, well, there are other things that I saw in the classroom that were influenced by the legislature and other things that are influenced by the legislature in my community and in the state in general. So I think this is a good time. I have done my time here. I can have a wider influence in in helping. In this case, I was thinking a lot about students all over our state because I was frankly not satisfied with the state of our education. I just have always thought we could do so much better. She served as a state representative from 2001 to 2007, where she was then term limited in the House, and was then elected as a state senator from 2009 until 2023, where she has also been term limited. Her next steps in Arkansas politics, a voter engagement and mobilization organization called Get Loud Arkansas. I wanted people to uh, be sure They get registered, and a lot of people do that, but that's not enough. And so I want to help people understand why you should actually vote. So there is uh, registration, education, mobilizing them all the way to the polls, which means that it is hard work because you you can't just register and walk away. You've got to create a, a relationship with people because people have come from, many people have come from a legacy thinking it doesn't matter. And that takes time to do is, you know, if I'm going to teach somebody how to write, I can't do it in one day. Go like, here's, here are the elements, so go write. And I want people to understand that every time you step away and not exercise your power, somebody steps into that gap and perhaps makes a decision decision that you don't want made. But also, too, it matters so much whether or not you vote, because in the last three to four years, we've had some really close elections in the House of Representatives. You know, we we have people who at least one person right now who is literally in the Arkansas legislature in the House because of one single vote. The closest race I could find from the 2020 election was State Representative Carlton Wing for District 38, who won by just 16 votes, which is still an incredibly close race. Elliot says getting folks out to vote isn't about laying on a guilt trip or making them feel bad 
for not voting in primaries previously. We really need to be careful about not demeaning people because they have not been voting. That doesn't help because if that helped, they would be going because they do get demeaned and talked down too many times. What do you mean you didn't vote? Well, that's all it means. I didn't vote. And I, I think it's also important to make sure we go to people, take them where they are, not where we think we, they ought to be. Because obviously, they're not where we think they ought to be, but we are not the focus here. The focus are, are, is, the, is on the people that we want to go out and make sure they vote. What word of advice or encouragement do you have to someone who may be going out this May and voting for the first time? Recognize it's, it's, it's like somebody just bought you a brand new muscle car <laughs> and, and, and you didn't even have to pay for it because you don't have an unlike my folks that I talked about who had to actually pay to vote, get a poll tax, somebody just bought, you just got a brand new muscle car and you're going to go out and exercise your muscle. You might not know everything about that car. You know how to drive. You know how to get it to the place. And Get Loud Arkansas is to help here to help you get prepared for making, you, uh, making sure you know how all the bells and whistles work. You should get online, look at that ballot, so that if you have questions about it, you can ask them ahead of time. So make a plan, in other words. We'll get more into making a plan in next week's episode, but I wanted to wrap up with this sage wisdom from Senator Elliott when it comes to thinking about why you vote for which candidate. I remind people that Well, if you were running, would you be the perfect candidate? No way. You're going to be because you are human. But remember, this exercise is not about marriage. You're not looking to fall in love with anybody. If you can get with the person at least 80% of the time, that's a winner for you. (laughs) Because there's going to be something we're not going to agree on. That's human because that means that you're thinking. (laughs) That's all. That was Joyce Elliott, Arkansas State Senator and the Executive Director of Get Loud Arkansas. You also heard from Patrick Miller, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Kansas. So when you make the decision to go to the polls, you'll likely be greeted by some friendly volunteers. Reporter Daniel Kruth gets the scoop on who these poll workers are and what it takes to train and coordinate them for the upcoming elections. Back in November of 2020, I traveled around Northwest Arkansas to speak with voters, candidates, and some important volunteers all taking part in that year's election. It was definitely an unusual time for voters. With the pandemic still raging, a lot of people were uncertain about how they could vote, what the rules were for showing up to the polls, and if there would even be enough poll workers to handle the turnout. But from churches to courthouses and community centers, I found people new and experienced who said they weren't going to miss out on doing their civic duty. Uh, my name is Anthony DiNicola. I just moved here from Chicago and I'm so grateful for this new community and I wanted to make sure that you know, folks who maybe felt uncomfortable being a poll worker this year didn't impede on um, everybody's ability to, to get out to the polls and, and get this done. And what's been incredible is the number of people who have voted early to make sure that today is a very manageable day, which is, is incredible. It's been nice and steady. We started out the day really strong with a ton of people voting, and now we have a nice steady pace that we can keep up with. Come on over. There you are. That's going to be your ballot and your stylus. And go ahead and vote. There's definitely some folks who have come in nervous and have walked away um, and, and directly told me, you know, I'm really grateful that 
y'all are taking so many precautions to make sure that people are safe and that, you know, not just uh, while you're here, but making sure that you are masked and that you're taken care of. And if you aren't masked, that don't worry, we still have social distance guidelines and ways to keep other people safe as well. That was important to me. I I wanted to make sure that as a poll worker, I was going to be safe as well. And it's clear that Jennifer Price uh, has really taken this this very seriously. And as per usual, from what I've heard, she's really good at running elections. And and this one is, is no different. So, yeah. Joyce Floyd, it's it's going quite well. We've had uh, a few slow spots, but I think everybody early voted, which was good. So, uh, but we are here to help. I have not heard any complaints, and we are socially distancing. We have cleaners between each voter so that the machines are clean when they get there. Uh, we have the stylus that is individual and the vote that is individual or the ballot so that uh, the workers never touch those, just the voter. Those were poll workers Anthony DiNicola in Springdale and Joyce Floyd in Bentonville. One person who continues to help coordinate volunteers for elections in Washington County is Jennifer Price. For the past 13 years, she's trained and organized poll workers for elections in the county as the elections director for the County Election Commission. In some ways, the elections have gotten more complicated because we've gotten new voting equipment. We've updated things every year to make it easier on our voters when they come in. We've, you know, made it easier for the voters but it has made it a little bit more preparation work on our end, making sure that, um, you know, everything works correctly and all of the polling locations and our supervisors and poll workers have everything that they need. Price says 2020 was actually a banner year for recruiting poll workers. We had more than enough poll workers than what we needed uh, for the 2020 general election. This year, surprisingly, though, we're having a harder time recruiting just because a lot of those people that signed up to work in 2020 no longer can work. They have full-time jobs. And so, uh, you know, we're definitely having to look for poll workers. And this year, she says they've trained more than 350 people to work the polls in Washington County. She says getting that group equipped takes a lot of effort. Most voters don't realize all of the work that goes into putting on an election, all the type of behind the scenes, things that go on, everything that our poll workers set through and talk over, because we have to make sure that when the voters come in, they're showing that approved photo ID, what happens, you know, if they don't show approved photo ID, what happens if they have an address change, if we can't find them in the poll book? So we go through and cover all of the different laws and and the different things that they need in order to make sure that we're properly, you know, checking in the voters correctly. We emphasize very strongly to our poll workers that no voter gets turned away from the polling location. You know, a voter either leaves voting a regular ballot or offered a opportunity to vote a provisional ballot. And then, of course, there's the equipment, how to set the equipment up, how to turn the equipment on, um, make sure that it's working properly so that on Election Day, you know, our polls are open at 730 and ready for voters to be checked in and able to cast their ballot. 
Trainings are conducted before the election in a classroom-style setting with refresher courses for returning workers. And in those classrooms, Price says she sees workers from all across the political spectrum, but all united in making voting more accessible for everyone. And I really think it has a lot to do with that sense of community, the civic duty, and wanting to, you know, make sure that you're part of something that uh, ensures, you know, that voting continues, you know, all over Washington County so that we're not having to close polling locations, that we can keep sites open in our smaller rural communities, as well as making sure that in our larger cities that the lines aren't exceedingly long and voters, you know, become discouraged and don't participate. This year, Washington County has 223 precincts. Those are election districts that divide people based on their address. And that number is up from 150 in 2020 after the latest census led the state to redraw district maps. Price says if you can't be a poll worker but want to help ensure a smooth voting process, the best thing you can do is be prepared. One of the best things that they can do before Election Day is to go to a website called VoterView.org. That website, especially because of redistricting, in the sense that JP districts have changed, state House districts have changed, state Senate districts have changed. All of that has changed from even 2020. So we want voters to come prepared when they come to vote. Going to VoterView.org shows you what polling locations are open it shows you your sample ballot, you know, where what your address is. If you need an address change, you can call the clerk's office before you head to the polls. But if you do want to be a poll worker... I will never say <laughs> that we have enough poll workers just because you just don't know. You know, we get phone calls, you know, the day before the election, the day of the election. I can't work. So we're always actively recruiting poll workers just to make sure that we have that backup if we need it. Poll workers are paid for their service, and the amount varies from county to county. And you can find more information on how to become a poll worker in your district when you visit the State Board of Election Commissioners website. That's arkansas.gov forward slash SBEC. And finally, Price wants voters to remember that poll workers are there as a human resource for everyone casting their ballot. So don't be afraid or discouraged if you're confused on Election Day. We're kind of like the gatekeeper in the sense that we're, you know, the ones who are providing the voters the opportunity to be able to cast their ballot, making sure that um, the equipment works properly, that when you vote for candidate A, the vote actually records the vote for candidate A, um, that if you need assistance, you know, we're there to help. And so um, by making sure that we have enough poll workers, have enough polling locations, keeping voting accessible encourages people to vote. That was Daniel Carruth speaking with Washington County Election Director Jennifer Price. You've been listening to Natural Election, a podcast production of Ozarks at Large and KUAF Public Radio. The show is co-hosted by Daniel Carruth and Matthew Moore. I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. We're looking to collect voting stories from our listeners. 
whether you're voting for the first time in this year's primary or you voted in every election, we hope you'll share a story or a testimonial of why you're voting. Record a voice memo and email it to us, ozarksatlarge at gmail.com. If you're looking for more about when and where you can vote in the primary, head on over to KUAF.com slash vote. Be sure to subscribe for free to this show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next Tuesday.